Hello, everyone. I am your host, Ryan Willoughby. Today's podcast is an interview with one of the most inspiring leaders I know. This is Natasha Reed Rice. Natasha sat down with us via Zoom during the pandemic to impart to us some of her wisdom on leadership, and she is definitely one of the foremost leaders in the Habitat world. Like earlier podcasts, however, the sound quality here is a little bit less than be to be desired, um, but you're, you're not going to miss out here. The nuggets of truth that Natasha shares are powerful, so get ready to be impressed. Thank you so much for being willing to join us on Hand Up Podcast today. Hope you are doing well. Are you guys staying safe there in Atlanta? Yeah, we are. We're still staying at home, so we're trying our best to stay safe and also to make sure others around us stay safe. Thank you for inviting me to join the conversation today. I am very much delighted to have you a part of that. I've, I've had the pleasure of knowing you for several years now and always appreciated chatting with you, and that's why I thought you'd be such a wonderful guest on the show here. I think you offer a lot that our affiliates can enjoy. For those of you who don't know you, Natasha, would you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do with Habitat, you know, that mm -hmm. sort of thing? Sure. So a few quick things about me. Originally from Atlanta, so Georgia is my home state. I grew up in Georgia and also in Florida. Been back in Georgia since 05, so been back here for a while. I am a mom of three, and they're almost all grown. We've got two college students, one graduating from college this year in the midst of all the pandemic, and then we've got a high schooler. Professionally, I've been actively engaged in both the legal world as well as ministerial world. I began preaching my first year of law school, so I've always known faith and law, faith and justice together. got very interested in housing while in law school, so upon graduation, I worked in two private practice firms in the area of real estate development with a sub-focus in affordable housing. And then uh, almost nine oh, wow. years ago, I uh, was able to join Habitat and really combine both my interest in ministry and law in a wonderful way. In addition to the work I've been doing in Habitat, I also have been an associate pastor the last 11 years at Ebenezer Baptist Church here in Atlanta. And currently I'm wow. partnering with All Saints Episcopal Church in launching Faith in the City series, where we're focusing in on issues such as housing and criminal justice reform and closing the income wealth gap. Just stay very active in the nonprofit communities here in Atlanta and find ways to lend support and lend any of my expertise to really trying to help our community thrive. So happy to be with you. And I guess I should say you asked me to talk a little bit about Habitat. So at Habitat, I'm Associate General Counsel for Real Estate and Finance, which basically mm -hmm. translates into I'm actively engaged with our homeowner services and mortgage regulatory team and work with our affiliates who are mortgage lenders to better understand how to have a more effective and compliant origination and servicing component to their mortgage lending work. I work very closely with our CDFI and our Habitat Mortgage Solutions platform and providing opportunities for affiliates to not only originate mortgages, but provide financing support to affiliates to help in their construction of homes and serving the families in their communities. And then I also lead our new markets tax credit team. And that team works to take advantage of the new markets tax credit program that comes out of U.S. Treasury that incentivizes private investment in low-income communities to help low-income people, which are the, that's the population of folks that we serve and trying to provide 
many access points to affordable housing solutions. Right. Wow. I knew that you did some of that. I didn't realize quite the broad swath that you are covering. You really are putting your expertise into to focus on uh, just a number of different items. Because you mentioned as well that you're, you know, you said you're actively involved in the nonprofit community. I mean, are you still doing some of the work related to human trafficking in Atlanta as well? Is that still something you're working I, on? I do still touch on that um, in some of the work that I've been involved in. Thank you for asking that. Ryan knows that over the course of since 2010, I've been involved in the alliances that have worked to have three different pieces of legislation passed in the Georgia legislature to protect the victims of human sex trafficking here in Atlanta, in particular in the state of Georgia as a whole. In addition to that work, I'm also actively involved with the Atlanta Community Food Bank, as well as the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute, which works very closely on analyzing the Georgia state budget, as well as other policy solutions to some of our greatest challenges here in the state of Georgia. Natasha, I learned something new about you every time I talk with you, and now I, I can't believe I was able to steal you away for an hour. <laughs> this work that you're doing and the leadership you're providing to our, our affiliates here in the state is very important, and so I'm, I'm honored to be a part of the conversation and hope that I provide something of value. Well, you, you definitely do, because actually you saying that leads into the next question I want to ask you, and that is that you know, in your, your time that you've been at Habitat International, you've been a part of uh, the Habitat Network for the last nine years. What has been the most rewarding part of that experience of you being a leadership role at Habitat? Oh, wow. I feel like I've had several rewarding experiences at Habitat. And, and what they really, those rewarding experiences often are the opportunity to work with you, for instance, and our other affiliate leaders throughout our national network to serve the families and serve some of the most vulnerable in our communities. And so whenever I'm able to go out to some of our affiliate builds, when I'm able to participate in some of our statewide annual conferences and fundraising events where you're actually able to touch and see the work that affiliates are doing and transforming the communities in which they serve, that's the reward. We work on some complex things in the office. We work on quite a few different resources and advocacy efforts and such, but it's when we can get out of the office and really we're able to touch and participate in the work that our affiliates are doing on the ground. To me, that's some of the most rewarding work I've been able to participate in since I've been at Habitat. That is awesome. I'm so encouraged to hear that you're able to get out there and do that. I knew you traveled a lot. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the things I like is that you are very much a boots on the ground kind of person. I mean, yeah. I know that you, uh, you're all over the place. This next question is kind of a follow-up to that, and I'll, I'm actually going to change the wording a little bit than the way I would previously say it, because I actually had a, one of the folks we were interviewing kind of said, here, let me, I would actually say it this way. In your time that you've been a Habitat, what has been probably the most challenging? Mm-hmm. I would typically say disappointing, but maybe it wasn't disappointing, but maybe difficult or, like I said, challenging kind of experience for you yeah. in your role. Yeah, and I think challenging is, is a good word, because I wouldn't say I was disappointed by this as much as I would say it was hard work. When I came into Habitat, Dodd-Frank had just passed and I came in the middle of like 2011. So we were just starting to really translate what Dodd-Frank meant to our affiliate network here in the United States, which really meant to the surprise of some of our affiliate leaders that, hey, you're now a regulated mortgage lender. And that was really challenging because a lot of folks 
don't come to Habitat to be a mortgage lender. They come to Habitat to help families, help communities, right? So when we began to roll out the implications of that, and thankfully we were also able to couple that guidance with some tools and resources and help and assistance, it was very challenging. I mean, we had several affiliate leaders out there who just did not feel like they were up to the task. And so uh, we did a lot of talking people back, you know, into their role in Habitat and making sure, you know, we're, we're all in this together. So that was a very challenging time. And, you know, in light of the pandemic we're in right now, we're in some challenging times as an organization. And, you know, at this point, we don't know the full impact of the pandemic on the the work that we're trying to do. And many of you all in the affiliate community are really struggling to make sure that you're continuing to answer the needs in your communities. And so I know we're up for some challenging times, but I, I often say, Ryan, there's nothing about Habitat that's timid. You know, Habitat was founded in a challenging time. Habitat leaders, Habitat folks do some miraculous work. And I truly believe that's the the interplay between the, their will, their expertise, and God's faithfulness. And with that combination, we're able to do some things that others have not been able to do in service to those communities that we serve, that we are in and that we are striving to serve. I love that. I've never actually heard you say that. There's nothing timid about Habitat, but what a great way to put it. Yeah. Um, there absolutely is not. And that, that actually kind of leads me to this, this next thought I, I, I want to share with you. You know, you've seen seen a lot in your time at Habitat. And, and mm-hmm. I, I imagine, you know, I, I don't want to say that you've seen it all kind of thing, because I think we are always, right? I mean, even like this pandemic, mm-hmm. none of us have seen this before. Right. You know, what, what do you see as really being like the, the, the critical skill sets, the critical even attitudes that are necessary to be not just a successful leader at Habitat. I mean, you, you said you've been in the ministry now for, for a number of years. So just in general, to be a successful leader, what are the sort of critical things that people need to have that no matter what, what life throws at you, you can tackle it if you have these things? What do you see? Yeah. Well, the first things that come to mind, obviously, are you have, you have to continue to, to lean on that grit that got you where you are. You know, the, the, the grit is the, the tenacity and the fight to still continue to push forward to do the good work, right? But we also know that the intention, the good intentions are not enough. So you've also got to continue to refine and to learn whatever new skill sets are necessary to try to continue to meet the need. And if you can't learn it, to tap into those folks who have that expertise. So there's got to be the humility that allows you to keep learning, right? The other yeah. part is the resilience. You know, this is tough. We're going into some tough times. And honestly, kind of, I I reflect back, I was very close to my grandmother and my grandmother, an African-American woman who did not achieve more than a third grade education, who was a domestic here in Georgia, in rural Georgia, made it through some extremely tough times. And I think back on her Mm. and I start to feel these moments of challenge. I'm like, okay, she made it. Her faith helped her make it. So the other thing that I lean on the resilience is the witness of hope that my grandmother kept even in challenging moments. And so, you know, the faith piece plays a very big part in helping us to hold on to hope when all around us seems bleak. And so as I'm saying it out loud, it's reminding me to also do the same. So as a leader, you've got to continue to carry that banner of hope to rally your troops, but also to inspire your own soul so that you can keep pushing forward. Absolutely. Wow. That is, that's fantastic. Those are the sort of gold nuggets that I knew we would get out of this conversation. Oh, I'm glad. So happy you're saying these things. I'm going to end up taking notes on these later for my own inspiration um, (laughs) as we go go forward. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, kind of you, you'd mentioned about hope there and about, you know, keeping your eyes forward and staying faithful. I, you know, one of the things I see so commonly, not just in Habitat, but this is just life, right? Because we are a sale on all sides from different distractions day by day, month by month, I'm curious to know what, what do you see as kind of the sort of things that, that you most commonly get sidetracked or derailed by in, in the sense of, you know, you're Natasha Reed Rice, you're, you're keeping your, your eye forward, leaning on that hope. But, you know, there, there's some times when the, the eyes can deviate and, you know, maybe something seems a little bit more important than what it is. What, what are those sort of things for you as a leader? Ooh, you know, part of my role in the legal side of things, sometimes I can get caught in the uh, paralysis of analysis. You mm. know, and you got to really ward against that because when you kind of dig deeply into some of the issues, it's kind of like, you know, it takes you into the what if scenarios, the risk scenarios, the risk mitigation scenarios, and all those are very important, right? Those are, they undergird the business. Right. But then also have to kind of look up and say, okay, what's the immediate business need? How does this analysis right. help us to move forward? And just mm-hmm. try not to get distracted by it because you still got to bring it into the practicality of the business need of the organization. So that's one of the things. And then to not get so caught up in, the challenges of the day and those days where what you thought was going to go over well didn't, <laughs> you've got to get back up again and continue to try to do that tough work. I always say we all love the the ribbon cutting component of the work we do, the ribbon cutting, the house opening, the house dedication, but it's a lot of hard work. you got to get that foundation laid. You've got to get those walls up. You've got to caulk those cracks. You've got to raise the funds to do all of the above. You've got to manage your staff. I mean, there's a lot of hard work to get us to the point of cutting the ribbon or dedicating the home. And so on those days, you've got to be willing and have a the resilience to deal with the tenacious aspect of the everyday while keeping an eye on the prize. And so those are the things right, that, right. you know, kind of keeping that balance. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, I, I'm curious to know, you know, you mentioned there's so many things that you got to do to get to the ribbon cutting, you know, to, to keep running that race to the point where you can actually celebrate it. I'm curious to know, in your job, Natasha, what would you say are kind of the, the easiest? I mean, there, if there's a multitude of tasks, what are the, the easiest ones? And, and also, what are the ones that are the most difficult for hmm. you? And why would you say those? Why would you classify those? Well, interesting. I guess the easiest tasks for my day to day is I just love the people I work with. So working with them, coming to consensus, throwing around ideas, coming up with good approaches. I enjoy that type of work. So that has been great. I think that I'm also an impatient person. So I will say sometimes I want some of the things we determine and come out to move quickly, you know, whether it's HFHI or through the network, but having to, to continually learn patience. I thought, you know, I've been at this right. for a while, so I should have it. But there are times where I become very impatient. With, and, and, you know, and then something right. is a great, innovative idea, responds quickly. Let's move it forward. You know, one such issue for me has been this conversation on diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's one of the areas and issues I've continued to push since I've been at Habitat. And I feel like some days we move in that, uh, that area very well, and other days it seems to be very slow. So, and knowing some of the concerns of the folks that I work with, within HFHI, as well as those within the affiliate network, sometimes the need is great. And so the ways in which we approach it, I sometimes feel very impatient about it, to be honest with you. So I, I'd like to unpack that if we can, because I, I think this is really interesting. 
first of all, I'd like for you to maybe tell for our listeners about the diversity inclusion component that you're working on and that I know Habitat International has been working on. And then familiarize us with that, right? And then can you also, when you say that you're, you're impatient, tell me how do you, how do you address your impatience, particularly on an issue like this about which you are so passionate and so, so involved? Well, I mean, I, I think that part of my insistence on this area and issue of diversity, equity, and inclusion stems from the founding of our organization. You know, Millard and Clarence were very forward in the understanding that the Habitat Ministry was responding to a need at a time of great challenge, of racial disparity, of injustice, not only in Americas, but around the U.S. and around the world, at a time when even... You know, Ambassador Andrew Young says that they didn't even take the civil rights movement to Americas because it was just too tough. And out of that, Clarence Jordan and Miller defied the norms of those of that environment and created something that really stood in the face of injustice. And that was the Habitat Ministry. And so even today, when we purport to serve our God and to serve our people, I often say that a lot of our the integrity of our mission is that we should look like the God we serve. And to some, this may be controversial, but that God we serve is not only blonde hair, blue eyed, and we should look like the people we serve. That calls for diversity. It calls for inclusion. And in, when we're talking about housing in the United States in particular, we cannot ignore the role that racial segregation and racially discriminatory policies have played since the founding of our country and with respect to housing segregation in this country. So when we talk about housing today and, and access to housing affordability and housing affordable solutions, when we talk about that, we can't talk about that without also looking to the issue of equity and right. how it impacts wealth, how it impacts income gap and income disparity and how all of that plays into housing and the impact of that on educational opportunities for many of many of our families that we serve and health outcomes. Wow. Yeah, I'll just say one final thing, Ryan, on that one, is that we're seeing it play out even more critically in this pandemic, right? Those areas that were vulnerable, yeah. where there weren't affordable, decent housing options, where there's been lack of access to adequate health care throughout our state of Georgia in particular, those are pre-existing conditions that now when faced with this pandemic, those vulnerable communities are even more vulnerable in this moment. Mm -hmm. So the work that we do as Habitat is crucial, not just to build one house at a time, but it's crucial to create thriving communities wherever we're planted. Absolutely. I love to hear you say that. I, was, I had the pleasure of being on the phone with Ann Myers and Lisa Gordon last week. We were recording an exit podcast. And it's so funny because it said the same thing you just did. It's like, you know, now more than ever. You know? Yes. Uh, it's almost like we're in we're in this boat that has a bunch of holes in it. Yeah. And we didn't actually realize, well, we knew the holes were there, okay? But we didn't really care until we actually set sail. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's right. Isn't that something? The, yeah, you know, we're in the pandemic. We're now in the, we're now in the, the eye of the storm. This is where we really need a boat without holes. And the holes are now a glaring problem, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, to, to that, it, it kind of leads me to this next thing that I want to ask you. This, it, just, On a personal level, this is probably, to me, the question that I love asking the most of folks. Everything that you just shared, I could see it becoming 
I don't want to use the term a burden, but being burdensome because there is such a great need. Does mm. that make sense? Yeah. Seeing, seeing, and I could see becoming dispirited, if you mm. will, when looking at that need and, and maybe seeing it not being met in the rapid way in which you had hoped. And I'm curious to know, how, how do you as a leader, you know, and, and particularly as a minister, I'd, I'd love to know this. How do you take care of yourself? How, how mm. do you yourself free from burning out and getting exhausted and getting overwhelmed? How, how do you do that, Natasha? Mm, that's such a great question. And I think it's one that we've got to continue to ask ourselves and other leaders that we that we know of, because that's truly one of the things that can lead to burnout, right? It's like um, an, mm-hmm. another way I often think about this is we know we cannot change the world overnight. So how do we stay mm-hmm. motivated to believe we can change the world, you know, right. with the long view? Right. That's my version of asking myself. And also when I'm trying to work with groups and teams and motivate, right, and drive results, how do how do you motivate that? Um, for me, I like to steal away with my family, like go okay. away to be in nature, to get away from it all. For this Mother's Day, we went up to the mountains in Georgia and just spent a day up there and just kind of just be reminded that we're not in this alone, that this amazing God okay. we serve created this amazing creation that we dwell in. and you know, lest I ever think I could do this with my own power and might, let me be reminded that I can't. So taking those moments to enjoy time with friends. And it's so crucial even now, right, in the pandemic where you can't really get together with folks to find intentional ways to come together, whether it's through Zoom, whether it's on phone calls, whether it's, so those moments have been really important for me. And I mean, this is not an easy time. Like we're trying to fight these hard battles and we can't even come together for solace, right? With other friends and family. So it's, I don't think I do it well all the time, but I think it's its a journey and it's something we've got to keep ever before us so that we don't become burned out because then we don't, we're of no good use. So yeah, I'm still, as you can tell from my answer, I don't have a definitive answer. I just define, try to identify the things that give me joy. I take a lot of walks during the week also, and that's been important. Exercise is important. A really nice Mm -hmm. cup of coffee is great. You know, just things that bring me joy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Watching a favorite show. I love documentaries, you know, so I enjoyed watching the Becoming documentary on Netflix about with Michelle Obama. So just finding ways that that bring Mm -hmm. me joy. Listening to really good music. Praying Mm -hmm. is essential. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just trying to find ways to refuel. And having conversations with people like you, Ryan, who understand the importance of that and who have positive energy and who have great faith and who are also fighting the good fight. It truly does inspire and refresh. Uh, That's a very sweet thing for you to say. I'm not sure if my wife would describe me as having positive energy. Yeah, right. (laughs) The spouse's commentary, it it may be different. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely right. And that's, be honest with you, though, you saying, you know, the thing that focusing on the things that bring you joy, that's really everybody's answer to this. Now, they don't say it that way, but what they do is they do like you do, and they tell me the things that bring them joy. And I think that's why I love so much asking that question is because we get to kind of get a peek in and see the myriad of ways that, that people find joy and happiness and seeing how they all actually interact. Um, yeah. Because, you know, mentioning about spending time with your family, that's just, I don't know, that's just so wonderful for me. I, I love hearing that. So kind of in this same vein, Natasha, and I want to be respectful of your time here, so I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. So mm-hmm. the people that you supervise at Habitat, and maybe not even just the people you supervise, but the people you interact with, the folks that are on your team, 
how do you keep them motivated, keep them from burnout and keep them so that they're wanting to sit down and say, okay, we're not going to change the world overnight, but we still want to change the world and we believe we can. How, mm-hmm. how do you as a leader do that? Well, just like the spouse's commentary might be different, I hope that they would agree mm-hmm. with me when I say <laughs> we try to keep a lot of uh-huh. laughter at, involved. Like we laugh a lot. We joke on okay. each other a lot. And we uh-huh. tell stories about ways in which we see the work we're doing having some impact. But I, I think, you know, even during the course of now all of us working remotely, that that's something I'm trying mm-hmm. to incorporate more intentionally into our meetings, into our right. time together. So, yeah, I think a lot of it, and I for, I'm fortunate to work with people who have their own drivers for this work too. So it's not so hard. I don't have to convince, convince, you know, as I say, I'm speaking to the choir because we're all trying to, to see some good come out of what we do. And that makes a big difference. Right. Absolutely. And, um, and that helps, right? When you've got people who, who have a certain degree of intrinsic motivation. Yeah, it really does. So, and, you know, hearing you say that about the humor, I think, was it, I was talking with somebody the other day, I can't remember, I can't remember if it was Anne or Lisa. I'm going to have to go back and listen to the podcast. One of them told me about the fact that, like, they're they're constantly in their office sharing, like, knock-knock jokes with each other oh. through, <laughs> through email. Oh, that's and, funny. And, you know, they found out the email. Email was kind of like a good way to set up a knock-knock joke. And, okay. Um, they said they're all very, they're all very corny, but they said, like, that humor. Yeah. That, like, just taking that little bit of time just to kind of laugh at yourself and at the situation has been really, you know, encouraging for them and kind of cathartic, you know, helping them to deal with separation. Right. So the next question I have to ask you is probably my, my second favorite question I, I really want to know is, you know, as a leader doing what, what you do, what, what kind of practices? And so, so use the term practicality. That's why I like this question. It's very, very practical. What kind of practices have you adopted as a leader that allow you to better yourself, both on a personal level and on a professional level? What are the things that Natasha reads right besides drinking coffee? Yeah, I, I think taking care of yourself, right? That's important. Your physical self, your spiritual self, your mental self, that's important. So finding those ways to care for your yourself and your well-being because you bring your best self to action and to work. Within the context of work, one of the practices I've really tried to lean on more because I'm clearly extroverted, if you could not tell, is listening more. Yeah, listening more and being mindful of people who tend not to share openly and giving them space to share and be a part of your solution making process. That's been a big thing that I've tried to put into practice. And so one of my greatest joys, now that I'm saying that out loud, it reminded me, is having some folks on my team come to me and say, thanks for hearing me. Thank you for calling out my voice. That gives me such great joy. And so that helps me know that I'm, I'm do, not only intending to do it, but really trying to put that into practice. The other thing for me is really taking advantage of opportunities to develop as a leader, being involved with other folks in other organizations that are leaders and learning from them and kind of refining what I think I'm gifted at and understanding where I have some blind spots and, you know, doing honest reflection is an important part of that as well. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. And it, that kind of corresponds well. I mean, it, you said earlier about the being basically a lifetime learner, right? Re- mm-hmm. Recognizing that, that we're in this shifting environment and that none of us really, really have it all figured out. So that willingness to always learn, you know, doesn't mm-hmm. just things apply just to skill sets, but even learn more about yourself. Right. That's right. Um, well, yeah. um, let me conclude us with this 
this question because I do want to be respectful of your time. Do you have any sort of this last thing? This is this is Natasha Rice Reed Rice's last hoorah. This is your chance to share anything you haven't shared before. Do you have any sort of professional or personal goals that mm. you are looking to accomplish, and how do you plan to do so? I'm really interested. Hmm. Well, I have a few. They fall under the general category of I really, and I, I mean this seriously. I'm not just kind of putting this out there to be a homework card, but I really want to be all that God has created me to be. So I, I want to, and I know that part of what I've been called to be is a change agent, an instigator towards justice. So what does all that translate into? For me right now in the housing space, it's continuing to be active in our national advocacy campaign and in the community being active in some of the ongoing policy work that we've been doing in the state of Georgia to really close the gap and the disparities between the haves and the have-nots. And so whether that's through addressing the issue of food insecurity or job creation uh, with one of my other organizations I work with, or obviously the area of housing. So I want to continue to be that. I don't, you know, I'm probably entering into part two of my career year-wise. And I really want to now, you know, take a lot of the experiences I've had personally and professionally and lend them to continuing to be an added value to our community here in Atlanta and the state of Georgia and however else I can serve that. So right now in Habitat, I've been grateful for the opportunity to serve in various capacities internally and also our external focus with the affiliate network, both through the advocacy piece as well as empowering affiliates to serve their communities um, with great efficiency as well as great expertise. And I hope to continue to see where that leads. Well, I have, I have no doubt it's going to lead to some wonderful, bright places. Like I said, you, you've already done so much. I think your attitude is <laughs> the sort of attitude that inevitably leads a person to accomplishing that goal of being whatever God has intended them to be, being everything that God has intended them to be. So I wish you much, much grace and luck in that. Oh, good. Although I don't think you need to so much. Thank you. I do appreciate it. And I, I always appreciate your encouragement, your kind words. And I'm glad we have the opportunity to work together in this ministry called Habitat. Same here, Natasha. Same here. Well, thank you again so much for your time today. I know it's very precious and I appreciate you lending us your guidance and your experience. I think uh, anyone listening here is going to be greatly benefited by it. So thank you for being willing to do that. I do appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for the invitation to do so. And pray that you and your family continue to stay safe and stay well. And um, let us keep moving forward, right, as we try to put our faith into action. 